sure he, who he was talking about. I thought, wow, this guy's going to be all right. But man, I am so glad to be here. Hey, give yourself a hand. Wait a minute. Let me tell you why. Because some of you fought traffic to be here. Some of you just got off work to be here. Some of you had to get the kids out and, you know, fix supper and all that kind of stuff. Some of you had to run by Walmart, you know, and do all that stuff. And, and here you guys are playing the bass and the piano and all that and singing and being in church on a Friday night. You're giving up your shopping night. All right. So give yourself a hand. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Amen. God bless you so much. It's a joy to be here. And one of the reasons why we went to a country church is because I was doing 724 lifestyle, like many of you are, and with the Benville Police Department, Fire Department, uh, SWAT team, first responders, uh, hospital, and, and then, uh, you know, going to the hospital on different emergency calls. And then also with the city council, having prayer meeting with them every two weeks. And in the city of Bentonville, you know, is the home of Walmart. And so there's a lot of money running through. There's a lot of things that were changing. We wanted to keep that spiritual atmosphere in the town and make that number one. So it was a joy to be able to do that. But I was doing that, preaching out on weekends and burning candle at both ends said, hey, it's time to slow down. I really want to write. And so during that time, I've been able to write uh, three, four, uh, in the last seven years, I wrote a book every two years. So uh, this year, it looks like there's going to be two. So I just thank the Lord for that opportunity. It's what God put in my heart to do. And one of the first books we did, I actually took off a week and went to a condo in Branson. And uh, because there was something in my heart I wanted to do, and that was write the book High Points. This was something I dreamed about. And so Westbo picked it up, published it for us. And I am very excited. If you want a devotional about the high points that God can lead you to, this is the book you'll want to start with. Uh, some of the books I've already sold out with, so I don't have those. This is the number one bestseller right here. It's called Lift. It was published by Elm Hill out of Nashville, and, uh, which is Thomas Nelson Publishers, by the way. And uh, this book, Lift, is just exactly what it said. If you want to lift encouragement, you just need to get through a tough time, a valley, some uh, a dry time in your life, you're running on empty too many days, then this is the book you need to pick up because this book has been an inspiration, a blessing to a lot of people. And then uh, we really believe in the job or the ministry of mentoring. Mentoring is so important in my life that that's what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. Uh, mentoring is where you walk alongside of people and help them, you know, begin to do exactly what they feel like they can do. So I did an experiment first. I took all the millennials in our church from those that were 20 to 40, put them in a room together and begin to t mentor them. And over the course of time, we watched each one of them. They're, they're training their children differently. They're doing life differently financially. They're living different lives uh, to be a blessing and do something for God. And then, uh, you know, in their job and some of their future planning. And it really ch changed their life. And so I said, you know what? I need more pastors, more people to read this. Because every one of us in this building could mentor one person then we could change the trajectory of the church as well as the trajectory of more young people in the building because I believe they're, uh, like right now, I have in my church, I have a 15-year-old. His name is Hunter, 
And Hunter was getting in trouble at school. Mom and dad had come. They said, well, we don't know what to do with him. His mom and dad just basically dumped him out on the you know, on their doorstep, and so they said, we're raising him, but we're having a lot of problem with him. I said, okay. So one Sunday, I had a visit with him. I said, I need an armor bearer. I said, when you see me up there coughing and sputtering and choking and making all kinds of strange noises, I need a bottle of water. So what I need you to do, you're the only person in this church that can get into my church office because I got all this secret stuff in there that I don't want nobody else to read and look at. So I want you to be the only person that could go in there, get in my refrigerator, and get me a bottle of water. Now, I have a curry on the top. Don't get me a cup of coffee because I would split the church. But get me, uh, get me a bottle of water and bring it to me because that's legal, right? And so, and so he does that. I mean, his eyes are on me while I'm preaching. He's been doing it about two or three years now. His eyes are on me. Man, the first time I go, <coughs> I mean, I get bottled water. And he is doing such a good job. And it's been a tremendous change in his life. That's what I mean by mentoring. You show them where you want them to go instead of telling them where you don't want them to go. All right? It's a total different aspect and purpose of life. And uh, one of the ladies in our church was telling pastor about this. She was a young lady who worked at RN in a nursing home. She said, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life because I love the people. I love who I work with. And this is what I've always done since I got out of college. So I'm just going to stay here. I said, you know, that's not where you're going to be going. I mean, you have such broader horizon. You can do something greater in your life and so just encouraged her and so she came to that place to where it was out of her comfort zone and she said pray for me I'm about ready to step out of my comfort zone well long story short she is the CEO of a medical corporation out of Little Rock right now and uh, just unbelievable what uh, and she speaks to hundreds of doctors and nurses across the Midwest and uh, she's been to Dallas and St. Louis and other places where Jefferson City, Missouri and stuff where she's talked to why did that happen because every Sunday morning and every every Tuesday night we started meeting on Tuesday nights instead of Sunday morning because we didn't have enough time and we would have food and we would teach and uh, you can do this you can do this yourself you can do it with a young person and especially those that are in school college maybe high school taking a young person and say you know what I see you doing and I want you to know that can change their life this book tells you how it's called the law of the small be willing to start with one person all right, and then uh, the other one, Go Find Tom. I, I was so energetic about this book. I wrote it in, I don't know how many days, but I wrote it fast. And so it's real thin. It is very simple. I made it that way because I wanted some high school students to read it too. And cause, uh, so I wanted them to read it because this book is Go Find Tom. Tom is the lost guy in everybody's life. Tom lives next door. You work with Tom. Tom is the guy that is your friend. Tom is somebody you used to know. For, Tom is one of your family members, and they need to get saved. So if you buy one of these books, go find Tom bracelet or band. You can wear around your wrist. And it reminds you every day of how important it is to witness to those around you, all right? This right here is the best marriage family manual in the world right here. I believe in it. I've studied sociology in college, psychology, 
family uh, stuff. I've got books to know in. And, uh, but I can tell you the word of God is so clear when it comes to family. And uh, I believe in the word of God. My wife is going to come up and we're going to, uh, we were going to quote it. But when we get in front of people, it, all of a sudden those quotes just go right out the window. So we're going to read a little bit of it. Yes, ma'am. All right. We believe that when you make a declaration about the Word of God, that God uh, enjoins your efforts for the Word of God to sow seed and to bear fruit. That's what we're praying for you, that we will sow seed and bear fruit this few days that we're together. We want to read this scripture. It's out of Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 10 through 12. For as, as the, the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Amen. What a rejoicing there in the word of God. It shall not return void and so we're going to believe that I, I was just preaching the other day at uh, a guy's church and he told me this unbelievable story and I'm about ready to give it to you I'm ready to tell you and it's one of those things that once it gets in your mind you don't forget it and it's one of those things that will drive you nuts you'll wake up in the middle of the night and wonder what that's what I've been doing for the last two weeks, and I wish he wouldn't have never told me. I called him yesterday, and I said, what are you doing, man, to my mind? I said, I'm a little bit of OCD and ABC, and I got all the other junk going on. And, and I mean, I'm still trying to figure out this story and figure out what's going on. But uh, first of all, I want to tell you how fortunate you are to have this amazing pastor as, as your pastor in this church. Here is a guy whose whole heart is here. Amen. I want to give you a gift, my friend. God bless you so much. He was the worst four-year-old I've ever seen in a wedding. But man, tell you what. No, I don't even remember. <laughs> Hallelujah. 51 years is what he said we've been in ministry. I started out when I was a baby. 52 now. All right, here. So here's the story. We're preaching revival, and he comes and said, man, the strangest thing happened at our church. You know, he said, back in January 30, or December 31st, January 1st, we had a group that wanted to use the church, and they wanted to come into the gym, and they wanted to do laser tag and basketball and, you know, do things like that. And so they did, and, and uh, you know, and so everything was great, and we, it was people we trusted and everything, so that was, they had a great night, and so, but Sunday come, and when I got ready Sunday to turn the key on to go to the sound booth, they had a key that actually turned all the amps on, and he said, when I got ready to turn the key for the amp, the key was gone, 
And I'm thinking, that's crazy. Well, I saw one of my grandkids' Bible laying there, and, you know, I just got ready to, you know. So I called Dad and said, hey, you question what's his name about why he took that key out of that, you know, switch there because it's gone, and his Bible was right there. So he went and talked to his son and said, Dad, I, I didn't do that. I, I, that's not me. And he said, you know what? He was sitting right beside me while I was running the sound booth. No, it wasn't him at all. He said, no, the key was there. I turned it off, you know, and they went through that whole story and said, okay, okay. So he went back there and getting the vans running. They got two church vans. He went back there and the church van keys were gone. And he said, well, that's crazy. Then he looked and in his office, he had a key rack and it was locked. And that key lock rack was open and all the keys inside of there were gone. The keys to the church, the keys to evangelist quarters, the keys to the van, the keys to, I mean, everything in the building was now gone. He said those little squirrely round keys, the little, you know, those little short keys, all, everything was gone. So he said, you know what I did? I called that family. And I said, hey, you guys were in our church, and you guys used the gym, and, and, and somebody must have gotten to church, but I just want to let you know somebody got in office. All the keys are gone. Would you question all those people, 35 of them, all those people, and ask them who took the keys? Where are the keys at? And he said, you know, they started going through the, the you know, every one of the kids. I mean, from here to there. And, and asked him, where's the keys? Nobody knew anything about the keys. Then he said, well, maybe somebody stole them. But why would somebody come into my office and steal keys? And why would somebody take the key out of the sound booth and not take anything else? Nothing is missing from the church but the keys. I don't know about you, but that drives me nuts. Somewhere those keys are out there. Maybe they're behind a bush. Maybe they're in a trash can. Maybe they're sitting in a pot in the evangelist quarters or in the, I mean, a pot in the kitchen somewhere. You know, doesn't it make you want to go searching inside the church and say, hey, just let me loose. I'm going to go find those keys. And I would have done that if he'd let me loose, but he never did. You know, the funny thing about that church, the name of it is called House of Prayer. And all of a sudden, when I got home, you know what I realized? All the keys were missing from the house of prayer. And I go, whoa, sermon title number one. You know, what happens is, is that if we're going to fortify the family, you see, fortify the family just energizes or just really gets me excited because a lot of times what we do is energize the family. You know, we'll spend two or three days together and we'll, and I used to do that when I was younger. I used to energize the family. We would have three days of power pack services, talk about couple relationship, family relationship, show slides, show, tell funny stories. And when we got all done, everybody was energized for the family. It lasted three days because we forget, we forget easy. But he didn't say energize the family because that's like getting a monster drink and drinking it and then all of a sudden you realize the next day you need another one. Hey, I want to tell you what. One guy drank a monster drink, had headphones on, had a vacuum cleaner and said he was going to surprise his wife. When she got home, he, he was going to surprise her that he had done all the vacuuming. She got home and she was laughing hysterically. So finally, he takes the headphones off and said, what is so funny? And she said, you're unplugged. 
So what happens is after we energize, after a few days, we come unplugged again. We got work, we got kids, we got school, we got all these things we got to mess with. And so what happens is we need something more than just energize the family. We need to fortify the family. And fortify the family means to build up the walls, get the army together, put something to get, you know, strengthen the walls, make sure the gates attack, do everything we can to build it up stronger. So that's my hope. That's my hope. My hope is, is that I will help you bring some keys so that we can get the keys back to the house of prayer. Get the keys back. Because I believe that prayer is the master key. You know what I'm talking about. If you have the master key, it don't matter what room you get to, you can open it. You can go to every room in the building and open it if you have the master key because that's the one that opens every door. Well, what happens is we've tried every key. We've tried everything we can do to make marriage better, to make home better, make finances better, make children better. We've done all of that, and we've used all the keys. But God said, I've got a master key. Let me tell you what it is. And God, Jesus said it. Here's what he said in Matthew 16, verse 17, 18, and 19. And I said we're going to use the word of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, 18, and 19. And here's what it says. And Jesus answered and said unto him, who's talking to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. That was the statement he made that Christ was the son of the living God. And, the, and I will, look what he said, for, and he said to the next verse there, For thy say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So say that with me this, tonight. I will build my church. Whose job is it to build the church up? Pastor, deacon board, church members, etc., etc. No, it's our job to steward the church. It's God's job to build the church. If you look in the book of Acts, you'll see where Jesus, where Jesus, or, uh, Luke records the fact that God added to the church. Every time I see anything that has to do with the church, I realize this is something Jesus does. He's the shepherd, the chief shepherd, and he's the one that builds the church, all right? But when I look into the Word of God, I also see another verse, and this is out of Matthew chapter 7, and it said that there was a man who actually, he said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be likened to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So I found something interesting in the Word of God. It's God's job to build the church. It's my job to build the house. God's total responsibility for takes He takes total responsibility for the church. It's just like a Ezekiel. Ezekiel is standing on top of a mountain. He looks down and he sees all these dry bones. And pastors across America are having heart attack, physical problems, burnout, stress, and everything else. And you know why? Because they're in the valley trying to put the bones together. Now, I've just got it figured out, and this helps me a lot. I can't put nobody together. Because, first of all, I don't know enough about anatomy to figure out what bone goes to what. There's not enough smarts up here for me to figure out what i got to do to fix everybody. 
But that, because what works for this guy don't work for that guy, and what works for her won't work for her. And I'm just so confused. I said, look, I can't fix any of these people because they are a mess. They got problems. But the second thing is, is that I realized that it was going, if they were going to get anything together, it was going to have to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It was going to have to be a work of God. It was going to have to be God was going to have to do something in their life if there was everything going to put together. So God simply says, Ezekiel, you preach the word and I'll put the bones together. You see, he's at work in the church. He is the one that puts people together. He's the one that builds the church. He's the one that adds to the church. Every time I see the church, I see God's work involved. But where do you and I fit in? God says in the word of God that you and I are responsible for building our house. The responsibility lays upon us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, right off the bat, verse 8. He begins to talk about a scripture, and I shared this with a guy, just a, or someone, uh, a lady actually, who is starting a Bible study with her seven-year-old. She wants her prepared for school, but she wants her to have the Word of God into her heart. So she started having Bible study with her seven-year-old so she can train her about how to, how to be ready for school. And the question was, the, situa- or the Bible study was how to have good relationships as a, as a young kid. How many know that's important for kids, to have good relationships? So she's going through this Bible study, so I just shared that scripture with her. She said, I just read this with tears. And it simply says this, that the Word of God is to be posted on the house. It is to be talked about on the dinner table. It's supposed to be when you're walking or when you're lying down, the Word of God, and we're gonna, my wife's going to talk about the Word of God. I'm going to talk about the Word of God in the morning. It's one of the keys that we believe is helpful for families. So I'm not going to go through a lot of length, but I will tell you this, that I believe the Word of God is essential for wise men to build their house. Because foolish people who do not build on the Word of God simply can't make it through the storm. It just don't work. So if you want to really telltale time whether somebody is really building God's way or their way, just watch for the storm to come by. It'll pretty well telltale on them. Now, you guys are tough people. As I began to make my way down here, I thought, wow, these are my heroes. And the reason you're my heroes because you got your roof blown off a few years ago with a hurricane and you're still here. I said, these people are tough. But I realized one thing. You may be tough, but you're not mean. you still got a heart. And the heart that you have is totally, you want to do this right. Yeah, you had to rebuild your roof. Yeah, you had to cover your windows with plywood. But some of you are tougher than that. Some of you are rebuilding your house. You got a wife that's been sick. You got a husband that's been under a stress load at his work. You got a teenager who's just hadn't been in church like he needs to be. You got a daughter that's been arguing more with her mama than what you really would like. And those kind of things stress us out. I can put shingles on the roof and I can do that. But when you're messing around with a daughter, a teenage girl, she's having problems with her mama. You're wrestling with a young boy that's having some real battles with 
Jesus. When you got a dad that's under stress at his work and he's coming home and he's just collapsing and saying, baby, I'm tired. I'm just tired of this. Then all of a sudden things begin to happen and I'm saying, hey, if you're tough enough to put shingles on top of your roof and board up your windows in a hurricane, you're tough enough to make this thing work. You can do it. I believe it. So I got a lot of honor for you, a lot of admiration because you've showed a lot of people the kind of grit you got. You've already showed people exactly what you have on the inside, the kind of heart you got, that you're a fighter. You're not the kind of person that's just going to give up easily. You're not the kind of person that's ready to walk out the door and say, I'm done. You're the kind of person that believes in fighting for what you believe is right. And you know what? There's a story in the Bible about a woman that did that. Yeah, her name was Rizpah. Now, you know, it's not as famous as Mary and some of the other people and in the Bible. But Rizba is a very, very important woman because what happened is, is through a series of events, both her boys were killed. And the tragedy of it was they were hanging there on a hill as a testimony to everybody, don't live like Rizba's boys because this is what will happen to you. Man, that stinks. But you know what? Mama didn't give up. The Bible says she took a cloth, fabric, brought it up to that place, stretched it out across the rock, and she determined in her heart that she was not going to leave that place as long as her boys were hanging there. She would not let a foul animal, she would not let a bird, she would not allow anything to come near her boys, even though they's dead. She treated them like they were still alive. I need some mamas in here that your, your son, maybe is spiritually dead, he's spiritually empty, but I need some mamas that'll go ahead and agree with me tonight. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to believe for God for him. Though he's dead, I'm going to treat him like he's still alive. I'm going to treat him like a man of God. I'm going to treat him well, like he's a young man that's headed for heaven. I'm going to treat him like a young man that's got his head on straight. And what that mama did is the one thing began to happen that maybe she didn't count on was the fact that there was some birds that would fly around. And you know how they are. They pick at those kind of things that are dead. And they kept picking. And you know, those kind of things can get annoying because mama's watching. Mama's watching and saying, what are you doing picking on my boy? What are you doing? I'm saying he's got the wrong friends. I know he's got the wrong company. I know he's been running around with the wrong crowd. I know he's been late at night and he's not telling me the whole story. I want to let you know, Mama said, I'm not giving up. If I've got to, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to quit swinging this cloth, fighting those angry birds away from my boy because I'm not a quitter. And I'm, I'm talking to some moms and some dads today. Hey Amen. That lie, if you had to do it all over with, you may have done it differently. You may have went back and said, this is what I can do. But we didn't come to talk about, hey amen, the bad stuff. We didn't even come to talk about things that I believe are some of the ugly stuff that our pastor was talking about. I want to show you some things out of the Word of God, what you can do to fortify your family. And one of the things is, is don't give up.
Be the kind of person that says, I'm going to fight for this. I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to quit. I am going to fight. And you know, the best way you can do it is with the master key in prayer. Because there's things that I can say that doesn't go deep enough. But when you pray, it'll speak when your words are silent. Oh, you say, oh, preacher, you just got it all made. Your, your son is a preacher and your daughter is a preacher's wife. And yeah, but it wasn't always that way. We had to fight for our son and daughter just like you fight for yours. My daughter was kind of cold in spirit and I'd taken a church that oh, is difficult and I was having to put way too many hours and too many counseling sessions, too many business meetings and too much stuff was going, whirling around in my head that sometimes I didn't even catch what was going on. My daughter started, she was getting of age and, you know, to where she was wanting to date and she was dating a boy I wasn't comfortable with. I didn't even know the boy, but something right here wasn't right. How many know what I'm talking about? Mom and dads have that ability. Something's wrong. Something's not right. You don't know him. You never, you don't even know where he lives and you don't know what it, where he works. Man, you'll ask a few questions because you're trying to pull it out of them, but they'll hide some stuff from you that you don't know exactly, you know, what's going on, but something ain't right in your spirit. Where do you take that? More words? You know what more words does? Speak to the hand. The ear's not listening. Because when that little girl gets in love, those emotions get stronger than mama's words sometimes. And so all of a sudden, mom's got one alternative. She goes in the back room. She shuts the door. She falls on her knees and calls upon God. I said, God, if there's any time I need your help, that's my baby girl out there. And that's the way I was. Something wasn't right. Going with a guy I didn't know. We had a curfew at our house. As long as you live in our house, got to be here on 11, you know, just like everybody else. But I pulled a trick on him. Yeah. Here's what it was. No, I didn't go spying on her. No, I didn't go on her dates and hide out in the parking lot with binoculars. I stayed up praying for my girl while she was out there. And when she come at 11, she didn't find a barking, hard, mean father. She found a guy that was waiting at the door and said, baby, she said, dad, you don't have to stay up this late. I said, baby, when you're out there, I'm on my knees praying for you that God will protect you and keep you so you won't get any harm and any danger. But I also, I want to be the last man that hugs and kisses you goodnight because you're still in my house. I had to make a trip to Mexico, our San Luis Potosi. I'm down there. We had bought a bunch of pastors' breakfast. We're getting ready for the Crusada de Esperanza, the Crusade of Hope. We're getting ready to preach a citywide crusade. We needed as many pastors as we could in that room. And so I told them, I'll buy you all breakfast if you'll show up. How many know there's a bunch of Folks will drop, you know, a bunch of pastors will pull up for breakfast. Yeah, especially when it's free breakfast. So that room was full of pastors, and we talked to them, gave them a heart. Pastors, we want to help your churches. I don't get anything out of this. I'm not a TV guy. I don't, I'm not pulling an offering. I'm going to buzz in here, preach these meetings, go back home. But here's what you get. 
So when people get saved, we're going to hand out these cards of people that's in your neighborhood, and you can win them to your church and help them. So that's what we want to do. Please, let's put this together. Man, they were all happy. We're going to run city buses. We're going to rent city buses. We rented five city buses, and we went into their neighborhoods and pulled people out and brought them to the crusade. We used a dance hall so that we would have, uh, it was a rock and roll dance hall, and they actually used, you know, uh, would search you as you walked into the place. And, and, uh, but we said, this is exactly what we want because we're going to meet the devil on his territory. We're not going to have it in a church or some little event center. We want to have it where the devil goes every night. We want to have church. Amen. There was a country western dance hall across the road, and what would happen as our services began, they would start being out in the street and you know and talking they'd hear the music coming in from our place and they started coming over to our our place all those kids those kids would start coming from there to here and pretty soon they'd stand around and some of them would sit and we'd give the altar call and man they were coming to the altar it was a glorious time and so I love the Crusada de Esperanza but back to the breakfast I'm here at this breakfast and there's my interpreter there was a man that come up to me to talk, and I asked my interpreter, you know this guy? He said, I don't know him, never made my life. And uh, I said, well, go ask a couple other pastors. He wants to talk to me after this is over privately, he said. So find out who he is, you know. And so a couple, he'd come back, and he said, I've talked to several pastors. They don't know who this guy is. I said, all right, well, I'll talk to him. So we met in a certain place, and he come, and he said, do you have a daughter? All of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit. I said, this is not just a how do you do meeting. This guy's not ready to just shake my hand and say, glad to meet you. This is something deeper. I said, yes, sir. He said, is she? And he gave me the age. And I said, yep, that's how old she is. He said, she's not where she needs to be with God. And I said, yes, sir, that's correct. And he said, God told me while you was talking a while ago, he's heard your prayers. It's going to be okay when you get home. Well, I want to tell you what, I'm blubbering. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a softie. I really am. And I was crying. And I said, take it, take it, take it. Before I could ask his name, he's off. I don't know where he went. I got home. My baby girl comes in the door and said, Dad, I broke up with that guy. She started pulling closer to God. Just like he said. What am I saying? I'm saying some of you got the same junk going on. You got a son or a daughter that's walked away. You got that cold look in their eye. That's kind of an absent look that's there. And sometimes you worry about them. And sometimes, but I'm here to tell you, God's got a master key. And let me tell you what he said about the key. Because I didn't read the rest of the verse. You see, when you're a preacher over 50 years, you can read the text anytime you want to. And here's what it is. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Who's he giving that to? The people in the church. I give you the keys to the kingdom. I said, oh, great. I love it. What am I going to do with it? You know, because I've always been the kind of guy that asks questions. 183 questions in the Gospels, and I've asked 180 of them. What am I going to do with this key? And guess what? In the same verse, you know what he said? Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, 
you're going to loose in heaven. And so I gave it my little translation and I said, I've got the master key. And whatever I open on earth is going to be opened in heaven. And whatever's going to be locked on earth is going to be locked in heaven. And God gave you and I, the church, the master key. And folks, we are not using that. We're not using that. Because it's not my words that's getting the job done. It's not my preaching. It's not my prayer language or my particular way of saying help. I can tell you that a dozen times I've walked into my church and I say, Oh God, Lord, I don't know what to tell you, but there's one thing. Help! Help! I want you to know what I found out is I'm very weak when it comes to praying those warrior prayers. But I found out if I'll take that key and begin to see myself unlocking that door, all of a sudden I don't see a baby girl that's running around with some dude I don't like. Amen. All of a sudden I see a queen of heaven uh, walking down the aisle of the church with her hands raised, worshiping God. All of a sudden I see a son with a Bible in his hand preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, I'm not talking about visualizing your prayer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a crazy guy. I'm just saying that you and I can lose and bind we can open and close because God's given the church the master key to get things done in prayer you know why the devil fights your prayer life so much is because he knows it works yeah he does okay well that's the introduction this prayer of loosing and binding or opening and closing Amen, is the master. You will not be able to control. Let me give it to you real practical. You won't be able to control every situation in your family. Even Holy Ghost filled people get flat tires. Even people who love the Lord with all their heart get a bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. Those things, life happens. Sometimes you get sick and you weren't, this was not a good day to get sick. You should have got sick yesterday, but not today. I mean, yesterday was you was at work. Today you're at home. You had things planned. You know how it goes. But why do we leave, live, amen, it, with, a, with a constant uh, circle of, of events that just slap us in the face and not realize that prayer is such an effective thing. Let me tell you this. Amen. Let me tell you there's some things that will happen if you don't pray. Yeah. But God wants to let you know that there's things that will happen if you will pray. Now, I, I, I still believe in the family altar. I know that's about as old as, well, as the 50-year-old preacher here. But I want you to know that the family altar still works. The fact that mom and dad could get together and pray a covering over their children before they go off to school. The fact that a father or a mother can pray for a wayward teenager is powerful. Because the Bible talks about prayer so much in the Word of God. He says this. He said, you were heirs together. Heirs together of the grace of life. 
And you know what he's talking about? He said, make sure you get along so your prayers won't be hindered. Boy, that's a real encouragement to me to make sure that I get along with her. Because if I start getting a little proud or, well, you should have done this or you should have done that, then all of a sudden the Lord says, yeah, you should have done this. And I don't want that. I don't want God looking over my shoulder and say, Jim, you're not doing this very good. And I say, Lord, I remember when, when, when I was in my 20s and, and man, all of a sudden, you know, what happens is you think you got it all solved until you have a baby. And that we had Brandon. That was our new baby. And we thought that, we, man, life couldn't be any better. We thought, wow, we got this. This is easy. Pastor and ZV, having a family's easy. Being a husband and wife's easy. We got a baby coming. This is easy. This is good stuff. And then all of a sudden, the baby was born. And I go, help. I don't know what I'm doing. I remember changing a diaper and putting it on backwards. Now, and folks, that's okay. When you got cloth diapers... You can put them on any way you want to put them on. It's easy. You just wait till you do grandkids and they got front and back and it don't tell you what goes front and back. It don't have an F and B on there for crazy father-in-law. And so one day they left. They were gone to the Walmart. And you know, how many know you, the ladies can spend two hours in Walmart and pick up one thing and that's what they were going to do. But man, the baby needed change. You could smell it all the way two rooms over. And I go, oh, man. So I went in there, and I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm, I, I, I can do this. I can do this. And I kept repeating to myself, I can do this. And I, I went in there and cleaned it all up. And, you know, I watched them before. They roll it all up and put it on the floor. And then they, you know, they hurriedly put it on because something else can happen, you know, in a hurry. And, and so you got to put it on the other one real quick. And I did. And, and they got home, and they said, did you change the baby's diaper? And I said, yeah, I did. They said, yeah, we knew it. I said, how would you know that? They said it's on backwards. <laughs> life gets complicated the more life begins to go on. You think babies are hard. Just wait till you get a teenager. And I thought, hey, once they get married, it's over with. I mean, it's over with. But you know what wife and I are praying about tonight? Last week, baby, our, our, one of our young grandchildren, baby girl, fell and busted her chin open, went to the doctor, and they used that little glue. That glue is good stuff. I mean, I wish we had some at home. I mean, you could fix a lot of stuff with that. But they, they put that glue on her, put it together. Today she fell again, bap, right there. So now they got to take her and get stitches. Hey, how many know that, that uh, you know, just because your kids marry, it don't mean you quit worrying, Right? Doesn't mean you give up. So here we are. We've got these keys, this master key, and it is the life of prayer. Elisha prayed with the master key. I've already talked about Ezekiel preaching with the church. But here is a man who went into somebody's home and prophesied that she was going to have a child after so many years of not being able to have one. When the boy was born, however, it was great rejoicing. But as years would go by, the teenage boy fell out in the field with his father, hit his head upon a rock, did something 
He actually died in his mother's arms. And the question was this among the, with the lady, I thought that God promised me this child. I want you to hold on for just a little bit. God promised me this child. So Elisha comes back and he did something. He does an intercessory prayer if I've ever seen one. He puts hand to hand, eye to eye, heart to heart, and prays that boy back to life. And it was because mama said, I had a promise from God and I'm not giving up. Can I just be honest to you today? You have that promise to pray with. You have a promise to pray with. My wife's going to talk to the ladies tomorrow about that. About how important it is to pray with the word of God. So I'm going to hold back just a little bit because she's looking at me. But Elisha prayed an intercessory prayer. Each generation, John Berryman said, is unwell in a new way. So that means we must learn how to pray as God leads us and the Spirit uses us in the prayer room. I can tell you that we are living in a generation where there is nothing more important than you and I praying over our families. My wife and I, we pray for our children. Here's what we pray in the morning. We pray for our grandchildren. Lord, I pray for our grandchildren as they go to school. I pray for their mind that they will think right. I pray for their emotions that they will feel right. I pray for their mouth that they will speak right. And Lord, protect their heart that nothing gets there but you. And I want to let you know we pray over our grandchildren every day because the devil's still the devil. But friend, God is still God. And God gave us a promise. And we're holding to it. And we're believing that God is going to keep our children and grandchildren. Two of those grandchildren have expressed they may have a calling from God. We're so happy. Amen for that. I want to close with this. I don't know what it means in Texas, but in Arkansas that means I'm going to preach 30 more minutes. But no, I'm not. I'm just going to tell you a story and I'm done. One of the greatest trials my wife and I went through happened in December. In the month of December, we got a frantic call from my daughter and her husband. You've got to come here quick. We live about four and a half hours away from them. You've got to come here quick. There's something wrong with Sawyer, who is one of our youngest, uh, one of the youngest grandchildren. And, uh, or maybe the middle. We have young, two younger than him, three younger than him. So he's right in the middle. There's eight of them. And something's wrong with him. He has got whelps all over his body, and some of them as large as a fist, and it's like blood bumps all over his body. And we're taking him to the emergency room, and we, we don't know what's wrong. And so they did. And when they got him there, the emergency room said, Wow. He has got one, and they count, when they say one, they mean 1,000. And when they say two, they mean 2,000. He's got one platelet left in his body. One platelet. 
That means that if he bumps against anything, that he could bleed to death and die right before your eyes. This is so serious. We're care flighting him. And what they did is they put him in bubble wrap around his body, put him in a helicopter, and flew him to Children's Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My wife and I drove to their house, stayed with the kids. And while we're there, the news just kept getting worse and worse. Once they got him in Tulsa Hospital to the Children's Hospital, they found out that not only was his platelet one, but also they said this may be, and it was the L word, leukemia. There may be nothing we can do. They called four, was it four different specialists, if not five, different specialists on this child because they said, we've got to do everything that we can do. A blood specialist, a nerve specialist, different one came into the room and began to look at him. They did nothing but terrific as far as what they could do. But what happened on Friday when they got him there, he was there on Friday and nothing. On, fr- on Saturday, nothing. On Sunday, nothing. Every test they were doing on this child was failing. The things they had tried to do to help him reverse it was nothing. And on Monday, there was still one platelet inside of that child. My wife and I, we went up to the hospital on Monday. Gathered around that bed. We closed the door. Got on our knees around that bed. I told, I told Sawyer these words. Sawyer, God wants to use you. This was not just Grandpa talking and something I just thought up. I felt like God spoke it into my heart while we were praying. God wants to do something incredible in your life. And you're going to be all right. Now, Grandpa's not going to say that and lie to his grandchild unless I knew that God spoke that. My wife and I had that peace. All of a sudden, they came in the next day, and they watched his platelets went to two. Now, for you, uh, and, and what does it have to be? 30? Ma'am, say it loud enough. Yeah, 250 platelets is what he needed. So you can see this is incredibly low, incredibly dangerous. He's in intensive care. He's, he's, he's got all this stuff going on. The doctors are there throughout the day doing what they can. And now he's up to two, which is 2,000, and he needs 250,000. But people around the nation begin to pray for that little boy. He's only, what, eight years old, nine, ten now, ten years old. They grow up so fast, you know that. Ten years old, and God began to work. And right before our eyes, we watched His platelets go up. And the doctors, there was nothing that they could say that they did that would cause that reversal and for those platelets to start going that fast. So it wasn't long that Sawyer got out of the hospital and he went to church. And in that morning service, there were two people that were really, really sick. And the dad, which is Nathan, he said, I'm going to have Sawyer pray for you. And Sawyer, a 10-year-old boy, laid his hands on both those people 
And both of those people were healed on that Sunday morning. There comes a time when you're going to pray like everything you have depends on that prayer. It's the thing that you do because you know there's nothing else working. It's that kind of situation to where you know. Now, how about Sawyer now? Oh, he's the wildest one in the family. He jumps and runs and all the rest. But I'm telling you something. Amen. There comes a time when you've got to count God according to his promise. And this morning, and just moments ago, we want you to stand, please. Thank you for being here on this Friday night and giving us the time that you have. Thank the Lord for it. We're going to talk to the men in the morning how important a father's prayer is for his children and his family. We're going to talk in the morning, my wife is, about the women and how important it is to use the Word of God in your prayer life. It's going to be a great morning. But now is a great opportunity. You know what I should have done? Got a bunch of keys. I mean, this, this guy's been great. He gave, brought me a cloth here that I could wave. I, I didn't bring one with me. This is, uh, this is like T.D. Jakes, man. Yeah. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I do not know you. Uh, there's a couple up through two or three, four people I know. But I don't know you and you really don't know me. So you got to just take this at face value. But I wish there was times I prayed better than I pray. I wish there was times I was more warlike. Like a lion. But my wife and I read the scripture a while ago. And we said that the word of God will not return void. That means when the word is in your heart, God's going to bring something out of it. And I was hoping to give you some scriptures tonight that you could take home with you and let you realize that you have the master key. You see, I was in, I was in uh, the country of Israel and I was on a, on a tour there and, and got to spend... Uh, no, I wasn't. Yes, I did go to Israel, but I met this particular man. Actually, he was over NATO. And he's one of the, he's got hundreds of people underneath of him. And he asked, if I come to uh, the country of uh, Luxembourg, that I stay with him. And so he had a little apartment attached to his house, and I stayed there. And he 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 told me how that his wife was, having these, he called them seizures or spells. And he said, it's terrified us. And we, we, I make good money. We paid for many dollars. She's a chef, by the way. She's a chef, and he's a, over NATO to hundreds of guys. And we, were, we were helpless, helpless. We didn't know what was wrong. Every doctor had failed us. Every medication, everything they'd done was 
unbelievably nothing. It was a waste of money for all of it. He said, neither her or I was living for God. We didn't even know Jesus. But somebody at work told her, if you would go to a Pentecostal church and get prayed for, God would heal you. So as a last-ditch effort, she walked into this church. Here's the singing. Here's the preaching. But she's only there for one reason, for somebody to pray for her that she'll get healed. She did get healed. But she also got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit the same day. And when she went home and told her husband, he's thinking, let's see if it works. And as the weeks went by, he watched. No longer did she have the spells. The countenance of her face was different. The spirit around her was totally different than what it had been before. Something had changed inside that church. But him being analytical, educated, very, very sharp young man, he decided to see what the Bible said to see if this was real. So he starts reading in the Bible. And he gets to this little verse that you and I have read a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, I want to go to somewhere that preaches that. And he went into a Pentecost Assembly of God church. Downtown Luxembourg. Walks into that church. Do you guys believe this? Preach this? Do you believe God heals people? They said, yes, we do. He said, I'm in the right place. And God saved him. And him and his wife are living for God. What am I saying? I'm saying prayer still works, church. You and I have the master key to believe God for incredible healings. But healing doesn't mean just physically. Healing can be socially. You feel rejected. You don't belong. You feel like you're in a corner. You feel like you're by yourself. You're lonely. You're feeling these, these unbelievable devils speak to you like nobody understands what you're th- saying or what you're thinking about or nobody really cares for you. I want to tell you what, there's a God in this building that cares for you and can heal you socially. God can heal you emotionally. You have fear coming up at night, anxiety, it bothers your chest, it bothers the way you sleep, your neck hurts, you get headaches, you wake up during the night, something is anxious about you, and you and your husband have prayed together, you thought every devil in hell was breathing down your neck, the horses of Egyptians was just just, uh, riding on your tail, and you thought that there was no way out of it, but then all of a sudden, I believe there's a God in this house tonight that can heal you from every anxious, fearful thought. Amen. But as you cast your care upon Him, and that care means your fear too. Amen. I believe God is able to heal marriages. I believe God is able to tear down the walls. A young man and his wife was getting ready to separate. And just one word, just live like Jesus and let Jesus do the work. And they're together today. Because somebody said, I'm going to work, be like Christ-like. You see, I'm not trying to be the kind of husband my wife likes. Because I've done tried that. And she keeps changing her mind. But when I, when I chose to be Christ-like in the marriage, she said, I like the man that you are. 
Somebody say amen. You see, we're trying to do the other things. We're looking at magazines trying to look prettier. We're looking at everything else trying to be more acceptable. Trying to pay past the area of where is, is my man going to love me and me only. But I want to let you know, start being Christ-like because he can't resist that spirit. Amen. Is there a... I, is there an Emily in the building? Have you, have you talked to me about an Emily? Is there, okay. Is there an Emily here? Who's Emily? Come here. You're Emily? No? no? You know and you know an Emily. All right. Are you praying for her? I have you have been. All right. Pastor, amen. Can we get a couple of women to come around her? Because God just gave me a burden for a girl by the name of Emily. And I thought, well, there's somebody in this church house. But somebody she's praying for. You, come here. Come here. And this is Emily's night to get help, right? Amen. Here's two young ladies that's been praying for a girl by the name of Emily. You know what? God is mindful of that. God knows how to do it. Amen. My wife's going to come. We're going to pray for these. Amen. Here's somebody else. Amen. I've been praying, asking the Lord to give us direction, and right now you're, you're fighting such an anxiety inside of you. The medicine that you've been taking is, is temporary, but when you quit taking it, you go back into this anxiousness, and you don't want to continue taking this medicine. If that's you, I want you to come and stand. I, I, I'm sorry, I do not want to embarrass people. That is not who I am. But, but sometimes you just got to stay what God puts on your heart. I want you to come real quick. Amen. All right. Amen. God, how many know that God is able to do great things in the lives of people? Amen. Yeah, come ahead, man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's have some ladies and gentlemen come and pray. Amen. I... I, I I believe that God is able to do something right here tonight. Amen.